0: Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. <sighs> Nothing like a quiet moment to myself.
1: Oh, that is all there is to what? it, Jeanette. Case hey. Hey. You haven't hey. heard a thing I said. You're not oh. being fair, Mom. I'm not being fair. That's I... what I said. Oh, yeah. Listen, if you're
0: Time out, you two. Listen, why can't you just work this out like reasonable adults without all this yelling?
1: Dad, do you mind, I, Harold? Listen, Jeanette, my answer is final, and that is that! Mother!
0: Oh, man, I have been there.
2: <laughs> yeah, <I won't. laughs> don't Don't insert
0: yourself into yeah. that one. Boy, uh, family relationships can be so messy. And there are no perfect families. Um, I've had teens. We've had uh, moments like that where the emotions are just bubbling (laughs) up and overflowing. Really? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And if you can relate to that uh, rather uncomfortable scene, stay tuned. We've got some help for you if you've got a teen or preteen or several in the home. This is Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller.
2: Hey, John, we hear from so many parents who know that struggle so well, like you said, and let's face it, during those teen years, our kids are changing right before our eyes, and they get bigger, and it's harder to control them, and their needs and wants change as well. So today, we want to help you as a parent and as a teen better navigate these conflicts and give you some of those good tools to uh, disagree better Mm. within the context of your loving home. Yeah, we should mention that
0: this is a program uh, primarily for healthier families. Not perfect, as I said, but we're talking with moms and dads who um, aren't dealing with uh, addiction issues or Depression. uh, depression, serious dysfunction. We have other broadcasts and resources
2: for you. This program is kind of a tune-up for families that just want to get a little bit better. Kind of family 101, that's Mm. the way I would say it. And uh, I want to say, if you are dealing with other tougher issues, call us. We have counselors here that uh, are able to assist you. Our guest today is a former guest, uh, many times actually on the program, Jessie Manassian. Jessie's an author, speaker, blogger, and she has a passion uh, for mentoring young women. She's written a great book called Family, how to love yours and help them like you back. I love the title, Jesse. <laughs> Welcome you. back.
3: Oh, it's so good to be back you, you
2: with know, you guys. Even in that title, that is such a mom title. <laughs> you know, if I can love them enough to where they'll like me, hmm. I mean that just screams mom <laughs> to me. I mean, d- dads, I think are more like, you know what? I'll love you like I can. If you love me back, great. If not, whatever. <laughs>
3: Is that not that, true? That, that could very well be true. The title, I mean, I was thinking from a teen girl's perspective, I mean, we want to try to love our family well, but the truth is when we do that, then our it'll make it easier for our family to love us too, because, yeah. you know, we can be a little bit hard to deal with sometimes as teens.
2: Well, and I like <laughs> that um, for a mom just to say love and be liked. I mean, it kind of mm-hmm. takes some of that tension out. You have a wonderful website too, lifeloveandgod.com. That's a good title.
3: Thank you. Yes, (laughs) we've had it for a dozen years now. It's a place where teen girls can come and get answers to questions about anything under the sun.
2: Hey, uh, let's get started into the book. So what are some of those common themes that you see in teen girls and teen boys when it comes to this topic of, how do I break away from my parents?
3: Yeah, well, (laughs) it's interesting. I would say that I would imagine that freedom would be the number one topic that we would get. But the truth is, more often we're seeing these teens who surprise, have brokenness in their families, yeah. and they don't want to repeat that for the next generation. And so they're wondering, how do I get along with my family, first of all, but then also how do I keep this from entering into my future family? Um, and so that was sort of the impetus for writing family. And, um, you know, I come from a typical American family, broken in all sorts of ways, yours, mine, and ours. That's, um, And so it was a difficult choice to write this book at first, but then thought, well, if God can use the brokenness I experienced in my family to help encourage these teens, because the truth is the majority of kids are growing up with some sort of brokenness or dysfunction in their teens, Well, and right? the truth
2: is it's always been that way. Sure. I mean, I, I just don't think there's been a perfect family right maybe since adam and eve before the fall and they had they didn't have children quite yet (laughs) so you know i think that would have taken them down anyway but the, the point of it is and i love that part of your story that brokenness i mean god thrives in that and i'm so grateful for the witness that you are that you didn't become bitter uh, but you embrace you know what you know circumstances you're in, and then you change from there and you embrace God, and God uses that. But for the listeners that don't know that, let's go back just quickly and mention what that brokenness was like for you as a little girl.
3: Sure, well, for me, my mom um had me out of wedlock. She had me. Um, she had moved away from her family in the Midwest and come out to California to start a life of her own and then found that she was pregnant. And she ended up choosing to keep me, which is a beautiful story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just she and I for quite some time, a single mom and this young girl. Um, and then she married my stepdad, who was a very new baby Christian, as was my mom. And there was a lot of baggage there that that the Holy Spirit hadn't had time to work through yet. Um, and so uh, my stepbrothers and... And my younger half-sister and I uh, grew up in a home that was filled with a lot of anger, uh, misunderstanding, a lot of tension between my parents. Um, There were nights when, sadly, I would pray that they would get divorced just Mm. so that there would be a little bit of peace. Um, I'm so thankful that they did stick it out. Um, Now, looking in retrospect. um, But there was a lot of confusion and hurt. And compounded on top of all of that was my belief that the entire universe revolved around me. And so all of this dysfunction was obviously affecting me and that for me. That was about your me, teenage years? Yes, you were a teenager yeah, then? That's
2: kind of normal for a teenager.
3: It's surprisingly very normal, right? I think we can all relate to that in some way, especially if we have teens.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. In fact, at 14, you thought about running away because it was overwhelming. I did. What were those emotions like?
0: Oh, um,
3: yeah. Well, I think, first of all, freshman year for any teenage girl is just wonky. It's just hard. You're trying to figure out who you are, where you belong, and then add to that family drama. And in my mind, in the universe where everything and everyone revolved around me, my dad was at the center of most of the conflict, my stepdad. Um, It seemed like he was unreasonable, that I couldn't do anything right, that he was always angry, and I was just done. And so I decided I was going to run away. At least I thought I would. And so I started stuffing my backpack with various sundry items, like the $10 I had, because that was going to help. <laughs> That'll go
2: a
0: long and, way.
3: Right? And um my getaway vehicle was a pair of rollerblades that my older brother had given me. <laughs> and so as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to like go out my window. I'm going to carry my rollerblades down the street. And then I realize... That because my brother had been into trick rollerblading, there weren't any brakes on these rollerblades. You don't need brakes when you do trick roller. You're not supposed to have them. They get in the way. So <laughs> I was a very new rollerblader, not great. And I looked out my window and I lived in the mountains and it was steep downhill both to right and left. And I just had this vision of myself careening down my street and crashing in a tumbled mess at the bottom. And that was the end of my runaway plan. It was, that was it. I was was not brave enough to, to take it. But I think it was though the start of not perfectly, but deciding if I'm going to stay, I might as well stay well and make the most of what I can in this family. And it was the beginning of a long process of sort of getting outside of myself and seeing my family around me.
2: Well, it sounds like you found that pretty much on your own. How does a parent, speaking to parents right now, I mean, we're all leaning in going, yeah, I've got a teenager, help me. How does a parent help broaden that perspective? Oh gosh, I mean, it was your rollerblade hill experience. Yeah. But what does yeah. a parent do?
3: It was that, but it was also the work of the Holy Spirit. As I leaned into God and started to see who he was, it changed who I saw myself as and started to look at others the way that God wants us to. You know,
2: that's a really interesting point because we want to learn. I mean, people are listening right now, I think, because we want to be better parents, et cetera. Yeah. Sometimes it's not. For you to do. And that's a hard lesson, too. Oh, gosh,
3: yes. (laughs) I've joked that I wrote this book, family, for my kids, so they would appreciate me more. (laughs) But it really is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's for them and it's for us. And for us, we've had hopefully more years at this than they have. And as parents, it sort of cracks open our selfishness and allows us to see that there are others that we have to care for. But they haven't had that experience yet.
2: I would say one thing, uh, as we've talked to so many great experts here at the ministry, is to broaden their experience by volunteering and doing some things outside of the home. I think that makes for a more generous heart as a teenager that they can see poor people or, you know, take them to a soup kitchen and help them in that way. I think those experiences can help. Absolutely. (laughs) And that was the point
3: I was going to make is if if we can't do the changing, do everything you can as a parent to put them in situations where God can do his thing. Put
2: them in an environment where they can see it at least. And, uh, I think that's one of the best things you can do. Family secret was another aspect of the Mm. book that caught my attention. Uh, Describe what your family secret. We're all thinking, okay, what is the family secret? (laughs) Very
1: scandalous, (laughs) right?
3: What was it? Uh, The secret I discovered was much less glamorous, but much more life changing. Yeah, as I was looking through, you know, a verse that we all know and love, Romans eight twenty eight, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Um, the very next verse starts out with the word for, which we know to be a causal conjunction. That means that we better pay attention to what came before, because this is the reason behind it.
2: Hold it, John. Did you know for was a causal conjunction? <laughs> uh, I, I may have been asleep in that sixth I that, grade, but, I know. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> anyway, back to so, the, causal right. so the causal conjunction you lost me. for <laughs> the whole reason that God can work everything together for good is because God knew his people in advance. So there's that foreknowledge, and I would add, and he knew the family he was gonna stick you in. Huh. And he chose them, he chose us to become like his son. The whole point of God working everything together for good is that we would become more like Jesus Christ. And the secret I found is that God stuck us in our broken, cracked families on purpose because what? better training grounds to practice Christ-like selflessness and patience and unconditional love and all those things that are really easy to do when you have like casual relationships with people, but you stick people under one roof where you're not (laughs) at your best and people rub you the wrong way, and it's really hard to grow in Christ-likeness. I truly believe for the brief window that I was not living with my first family or starting my second family, I was really holy. I was really holy.
2: (laughs) When you were living alone. Right,
3: exactly. When I didn't have a family to live with, I didn't have an anger issue. I was pretty much sinless. You didn't have dirty dishes either, probably. And and the house was always clean, (laughs) right? Um, But now, yeah, I'm just Mm -hmm. coming to realize the secret reason that God has us in families is to become more like Christ.
2: But it is that selflessness. You know, the whole thing, marriage and even parenting Mm -hmm. and existing in this world is about becoming more like Christ, becoming more selfless and it really rubs the the flesh the wrong direction. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. not who we want to be. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, another thing and this is so common is the attitude issue in <laughs> teens. And you're working with a lot of teen girls, but yes. let me tell you, there's attitude in teen boys too, <laughs> you know. So the the question there, a lot of parents that I talk to, one they'll be shocked that others are experiencing this you know if you look at the smiths oh their teen son their teen daughter he's so well behaved he's so, so good respectful. how come how come our kids aren't like those kids yeah you you know the discussion that goes on mm-hmm. so address that issue of attitude it exists what is a teenager going through and what is a parent going through speak mm. to both camps
3: okay Well, for teens, I I was just speaking recently at a residential center for teens who have had so much trouble at home or, you know, in Mm -hmm. life that they're, that they need a time out basically away from their family. And Afterwards, a girl came up to me and said, you know, Jesse, did you ever like with your mom really want to be nice, but just feel like this selfish, grumpy diva took over your body and like the things coming out of your mouth just weren't what you wanted. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There's something about the teenage years, this crazy cocktail of hormones and craving independence and becoming your own person, but still wanting to be a part of a family that make for some really volatile emotions. And there's no one easy step to fix that. i think even girls who love God, even guys who love God sometimes have a really hard time being respectful at home. And truly, I mean, the eye roll really is a very effective tool to communicate a whole host of emotions, mm-hmm. right? From like, <laughs> I think your clothes are lame to you're so unfair. Everything can be communicated with an eye roll. Um, but that that act, I think, goes back to our heart. That eye roll is so indicative of that heart emotion of rebellion or pride or whatever it is that yeah. they're wrestling with so it really does go back again to the holy spirit doing that transformative work in their hearts and then us as parents modeling right. what it looks like to control our emotions and to not cop attitude with our kids i don't know if you guys are guilty of this oh but... no not
2: at all <laughs> you could just man. keep self-confessing this video. yeah I, it's making us feel a lot better <laughs> but it's true
3: Man, sometimes I catch my daughter giving me the same attitude that I'm giving her and it's really ugly and embarrassing, but but I've got to model that for her of what it looks like to show honor. Yeah. to her, to them, to both of my daughters even when I'm irritated with them.
2: It's so hard and that's the trigger point where we get pushed, you know, that button in us gets pushed and we get right down in the in the gutter with them. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and I'll uh, always think to myself, I am the adult in this conversation. <laughs> right? It's kind of an embarrassing moment when you come to that realization. What what, what am I doing down here with this guy? It's um, so true. You mentioned, and you don't hear a lot about this, but the fifth commandment. So I'll ask the listeners. Okay, everybody, what's the fifth commandment? You're going through them. Okay, murder. That's the one. Honor your mother and father, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But we don't talk about that one much. And when you bring it up, now just a little test of three. Have have any of you brought that up with your kids? Oh, I quote that one all the time.
1: <laughs>
2: and how's that? going Go down yeah not so
3: well <laughs> do you want a long life on the earth and she says not if it's with you oh. yeah, it's like one of those brutal
2: tools we pull out do you know the bible says to honor your father you're not honoring me right now
3: exactly they look at
2: you like because you don't deserve it right. <laughs> oh. Oh. but what what is the importance of that we're we're yes. laughing with that but there is something god is trying to say something to Absolutely. us in honor and your it was shocking to me
3: as i was looking at that fifth commandment the first four are teaching us how to honor god himself And then right after that, the first relational commandment is honor your father and mother. It wasn't don't murder. It wasn't don't covet. All those kind of biggies that I feel like went along with the lightning and thunder that was going on. Deserve. Right. like response. But it was honor your father and mother. And the more I mulled on that, the more I thought, man, if it's true that family is the best place for us to learn how to honor and obey people when they don't deserve it, when their rules are unfair, when they don't get everything right, isn't that the perfect training ground to honor God himself? Because we don't always understand his methods. We don't always like his discipline. We don't always understand where he's going with things. And so I think he gave us that commandment, honor your father and mother, because that's how we learn to honor God himself.
0: Mm, That is so true. Our guest on Focus on the Family is Jessie Manassian. Uh, We're talking about her book, Family, How to Love Yours and Help Them Like You Back. And uh, we've got that and a CV or download and our mobile app as well at focusonthefamily.ca or call us and you can order the book. Our number is 800-661-9800. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment.
3: My favorite thing about Brio is that you can actually absorb stuff from it and learn. Reaching teen girls
1: right where they're at with encouragement to grow in their faith.
3: The stories in the Brio magazine about other people that have gone through things way worse than I have is really inspiring and uplifting.
1: Help your teen invite God into her everyday experience with Brio magazine. Learn more at focusonthefamily.com slash Brio radio. Did you know nearly 60% of American adults don't have a will in place? That's a big number. And not having a will can leave a heavy burden for family left behind. If you need a will but don't know where to begin, let Focus on the Family help. Download our resource, 15 Questions to Ask When Preparing a Will. It's our gift to you at focusonthefamily.com slash preparemywill. That's focusonthefamily.com slash preparemywill.
0: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
2: You also talk in the book about trust, complete trust and limited freedom, (laughs) I think is the core. I love that. It's a struggle, though, for teens and parents uh, to learn that trust and that freedom balance. Mm -hmm. And usually the teens would say, yeah, your freedom metric is way out of balance, dad or mom. <laughs> and you don't trust me enough. And what have I done to break the trust? I'm yes. a, I'm generally really a good person. Oh, you can hear those conversations. Yes. So how do parents and teens navigate that trust idea with limited freedom or more freedom?
3: Yeah, this was a huge thing for me to learn to recognize. Because what, what I was hearing from a lot of girls, they were saying, my parents say they trust me, but they won't let me do anything. And anything, so nothing. A, a nothing, nothing at all, <laughs> nothing. Everything's very dramatic I when you're it. a teen. <laughs> yes. But what what I was finding is, man, it, it's possible. And there's several relationships in our lives, not just from a teen to their parent, where we have absolute or complete trust from someone else, but we don't have complete freedom. There's limited Freedom And one example is in the marriage relationship. I trust my husband completely. He trusts me completely. We have a foundation of trust in our marriage that's been built over 15 years. We still have limited our freedom on purpose for Mm. one another. We have each other's passwords for everything. We check with each other if we're going to be alone with a member of the opposite sex. We um, always consult each other if we're going to make plans that affect the other person. We limit our own freedom and the freedom of the other person in the name of trust. And I think that's a key for parents and their kids to understand is that I can completely trust my daughters, but that doesn't mean that that comes with unlimited freedom. Yeah, I love that I necessarily have to limit their freedom to help them maintain that trust.
2: Yeah, and some of that, I mean, it'd be in that caution zone, mm-hmm. right? The precautionary measures you'd want to take in a marriage, in parenting, as realizing a teen, to protect you.
3: It's, it's humility, right? right? It's realizing I am vulnerable. I am not invincible. And so I need someone else to help me maintain those boundaries. Now, if a teen can get to that point, it's money. Yeah. Probably hard to do for yeah. a teen. But if as parents, if we can explain that difference and, again, bring up in conversation the places where you have limited your freedom, whether it's your relationship with the Lord or with a spouse or mm. a boss, to show them that it doesn't mean that you can't still have a great time.
2: Jesse, in previous broadcasts, we did talk about your crush a problem. Yes. <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> All my secrets and t- are exposed. Those teen years are so, can be so full of that. You know, mm-hmm. you go from crush to crush to crush, mm-hmm. and this guy talked to me, or this girl talked to me, and I don't know what to do. And you know, those things happen. It's a normal part of... Of the teen experience. So I want you to talk about that crushaholic Ism yeah. and and <laughs> yeah. how you uh, got over that, or how you discerned it over over those years, and what advice you might have for parents and for teens. Yeah,
3: for parents, it definitely is part of the teen years, and I don't think even <laughs> when we even when we talk about it with our teens and they have a healthy view of the difference between admiration and attraction, and all those things that we've talked about on previous broadcasts. I think playing into this idea of limited freedom, this is a perfect example of where parents do need to step in and limit their kids' freedom, even though they do. try them explicitly and a perfect example of this my dad was a little bit strict in what we were allowed to do um, and there was this dance in my small town and i was just Uh-oh. over the moon i was so excited because word was that we'll call him dreamy boy dreamy boy <laughs> was going just to, to pick be, a name uh, just to pick a name we'll call him db for short. <laughs> So he was going to be at the dance, and I heard that he wanted me to be there, and I was over the moon. I mean, this was like going to be the teen movie spectacular moment yeah. that my young heart had been craving, and I was all ready to go. And before the dance, my dad said, "You can't go," and I was devastated. I was pretty sure my entire social life was dead from that point on, and I tried every you know phrase in the book, but why? And he's just like, "No, like you can't go." You're crushing me, right? But what I didn't realize then. And what I learned later was, you know, dreamy boy wasn't exactly as dreamy as I had previously thought. And even if I had had that teen movie spectacular moment, my dad protected me from probably a whole summer of regret. He did not have the greatest reputation. And I was young and vulnerable and really craving attention. Mm. And that probably would not have ended well. And my dad didn't even realize it at the time. He didn't know why I wanted to go so bad, but he trusted his intuition and it saved me. He limited my freedom and it ended up freeing me.
2: Even with the hassle that it cure oh it you know, totally that you did. were the eye I'm roll sure, and the door slam yeah. and all
3: those things that went on but later I was able to thank him as an adult well, sometimes, later, like that mean, sometimes
2: <laughs> we've talked about how to reduce friction and all that sometimes there's just going to be friction and you yeah. need to accept it especially yeah. in that parenting role where you you just know the right thing to do and you got to do it. Yeah. Uh, Jesse, you've mentioned a few times and in you interwoven dad and stepdad mm-hmm. and I know you're speaking of the same man.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, speak to that issue of having a father who's not your biological father. He's your stepdad. And it's nice that you refer to him as father and mm-hmm. dad. I think that's a good thing. Uh, but that was one of your biggest struggles is your relationship with this man who came into your life uh, a little later. I don't know what age you were. I was were. 5 when So they 5 got when you married mm-hmm. your mom. Uh, speak to his leadership and that struggle that you did have. Mm-hmm. Was it worse than you thought it would be? Did it have good moments and bad moments? What did yeah. it look like?
3: Yeah, my stepdad, who I've always called dad, and I've never called him anything else until having to differentiate for the purpose of of this book. Um, It it was a really rough growing up. But you know what? As as an adult now looking back on it, something that has struck me so profoundly, because remember, as I'm a kid and a teenager, the world revolves around me. And so everyone must love me unconditionally. Like that's just (laughs) sort of a given. Who wouldn't love me? That's right. But as an adult looking back on it now, I can see, wow, he chose to take me on. He mm. said that I was a cute but precocious little five-year-old <laughs> who needed a lot of discipline, and he's probably right about that. Yeah. And even though I didn't agree with his discipline methods or the anger that he had learned from multiple generations of abuse, that um, that he was trying, yeah. and he chose to love me. He went to all of my sporting games. He let me wear his favorite sweatshirt, like <laughs> every time it came out of the wash, and he told me he was proud of me. Uh. And those things, now as an adult looking at, I. I'm just so grateful that he would do that. And I did as a kid. I wondered, would things have been different if my mom had married my biological father, or if I even knew who he was, or um, you know how, how things would change? But looking back on it now, I, I see that God, that secret that he had of wanting to make me more like Christ, that was the perfect family. Mm-hmm. to do that in
2: that is beautiful and what a great place to land today i do want to come back next time and pick up the conversation and mm-hmm. talk more about teens and their parents and how to manage these years more constructively not perfectly most likely but more constructively this is great stuff mm-hmm. jesse and i'm eating it up your book family how to love yours and help them like you back um thank you for that encouragement and especially you know i know you've written this to teen daughters to help them and to help their parents uh, better understand. But it does apply to boys as well. I'm getting a lot out of this too. If you have a child who is growing up in your home and they happen to be a teenager, uh, I want to get a copy of this book into your hands. So write us here. If you can't afford it, we'll get it to you. Just contact us. And if you can give us a gift for any amount, we'll say thank you by uh, sending the book along to you yeah you can
0: donate and get a copy of jesse's book when you call us our number is 800 the letter a in the word family or stop by focus on slash broadcast and be sure to check out brio magazine it's a magazine for teen girls and it can be really helpful uh, as you guide your daughter through the culture and relationships around her details about brio magazine at our website On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we continue the conversation with Jesse Manassian and once again, help you and your family thrive in Christ. listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned.
3: And in my mind, in the universe where everything and everyone revolved around me, my dad was at the center of most of the conflict, my stepdad. Um, It seemed like he was unreasonable, that I couldn't do anything right, that he was always angry, and I was just done. And so I decided I was going to run away. At least I thought I would. And so I started stuffing my backpack with various sundry items, like the $10 I had, because that was going to (laughs) help. That'll go a long way, Right?
0: That's Jesse Manassi in describing just some of the challenges that teens face within the family uh, in the context of relationships. And as a parent, I'm sure you've observed uh, some of that teenage angst in your home or hang on, it's coming. Uh, Jesse is back with us today on Focus on the Family, and your host is Focus President and author Jim
2: Daly. I'm John Fuller. John, last time we had a great conversation with Jesse about family dynamics, as you mentioned, and how parents and teens can kind of better navigate uh, these issues like independence and bad attitude and uh, maybe the imperfect reality of family life. Uh, You know, so often we expect perfection And you're not going to get that. You're going to have something on a continuum that's good to poor. Uh, Perfection, I don't think, is on that continuum. Uh, These problems happen. It's that rebelliousness and, uh, you know, the gentle stuff. This is a program for that family 101. It's not where you have serious... Um, and possible uh, disorders that you might be dealing with. And I would encourage you, if you're questioning, if you do, if your teen is in a place that's more at risk in terms of their behavior, call us. And we'll, we'll go deeper with you in that regard. And we have programs and resources that can help in that space. But for this, this is just the normal stuff where we all giggle about teen Uh, attitude and parent attitude and if you missed the program last time I'd get it it was so fun and Jesse was so vulnerable with us I think we were pretty vulnerable too, John but that's where life is at and we all have at this table we all have teen kids and Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're living the dream right now and you can get an audio
0: copy of our conversation with Jesse or look for the YouTube version and also make sure you get a copy of her great book family how to love yours and help them like you back Um, not love you back necessarily, just like you back. Swing by our website to get started. It's focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or give
2: us a call, 800-the-letter-A-in-the-word family. Hey, Jesse, welcome back to Focus.
3: It is so good to be here with you It
2: guys. was so fun last time. <laughs> yeah, we just I so enjoyed that, and very practical. That's what I love about it, uh, things that both parents and teens can do to help the relationship through these turbulent years. You know, one parent said to me uh, a while back, and I really love this, that they they enjoyed every stage. And that's my goal. I want to enjoy the toddler years. I want to enjoy the terrible twos. I want to enjoy the those middle years of six, seven, eight. Oh, how those years are so nice. <laughs> Daddy, you're awesome, Daddy. We love you, Daddy. <laughs> and then you get into adolescence and then the teen years. But they can be very enjoyable years. You connect in a different way, uh, but it doesn't have to be a downer. There probably will be more tension, more independence, more conversation around, I need more space, dad, won't you trust me? well, maybe until you do something I, I can't trust you for, <laughs> right? And we covered all those topics last time. Um, let's get back at it. Uh, communication and conflict is kind of core, and you covered that in your wonderful book, Family, How to Love Yours and Help Them Like You Back, which I so enjoy that title. Um, that communication and conflict can be challenging um, in every household. So how do we go about Um, knowing we're sinful human beings, how do we, in fact, understand uh, our teens a little better? There's going to be some unhealthy habits, uh, whatever they might be. And moms and dads are going, yep, yep, that's my teen. Just fill in the blank, right? Um, But how do we we get started in helping to correct some of that behavior in a way that's constructive, not deconstructive Mm -hmm. or destructive?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we better preface this whole episode <laughs> first by saying, I'm so thankful for your grace and the collective grace from listeners because this is not something that I am great at either. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> that the truth of all
2: thing, right? experts.
3: Oh goodness, I mean, it's so true. Yeah, so true. I mean, we're right in the trenches with this too and trying to figure out. I mean, I confess in the book that I. This is not something I'm super proud of, but I tend to be a thrower. Like There are very few things that can get me that mad. What they... does that
2: look like exactly?
3: Well, <laughs> let's talk about this and probably need some counseling on this. No, I'm doing a lot better. I haven't thrown anything in a very long gish. Are these spongy time. things or hard surface? No, like a, a pot surface. of oatmeal against A pot the... of oatmeal? I was yeah. pregnant. There were hormones
2: <laughs> involved. <laughs> Excuses. Oh, man. And then
3: my cell phone one time, which I had to pay for, um, an open bag of chips, which Went everywhere. That one sounds fun. Actually, most shamefully, I was so mad. One time, I threw God's holy word at my husband. (laughs) Okay, now (laughs) everybody's going? I I know,
2: (laughs) but what's going on there? I mean, you obviously are doing better. You said that. So, what was
3: the trigger? What was the trigger? Was family members who there's something about living under the same roof with people 24 hours a day that (laughs) know how to push your buttons. (laughs) Maybe just my husband and children know how to push my buttons, but it it gets me to that point where my emotions just can feel out of control. And I've been learning through the power of the Holy Spirit how to give those to the Lord and try to stay calm and even and live out those verses in Proverbs. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Um, A gentle answer also curbs my own wrath, (laughs) so you know I am working on all of that. But this is this is something that I am still in process of. So I don't want to come across as I've got the perfect you know five step solution, but I do think scripture is so able to point out how to do life well in every area, and that includes family conflict. So, um, we talk in my family about fighting fair. Like, fights are pretty inevitable. Conflict is inevitable. Now, some
2: people go, no, but it's true. I mean, I think in a healthy situation, you're going to have disagreement.
3: Disagreement, at least. Disagreement, things that you don't appreciate about another, things that rub you the wrong way. It doesn't have to become all-out war. We can have a discussion or a fight that is constructive, where the end goal is a better understanding of each other, right? For communication to take place doesn't mean that you have to agree with me. It doesn't mean that our kids have to agree that we are wise and all-knowing, but it means that we've communicated information and we come to a better understanding of each other. And I think if we have that foundation, then we can allow um, family conflict to make us stronger as a family and as individuals. Well, that's
2: half the battle is teaching your kids how to disagree, In an appropriate way rather than with all the body language and the attitude. The The fog of emotion. Or the fog of emotion. Because they want to win. You (laughs) want to win. It's just not the best of human
3: characteristics.
2: You, in fact, use Proverbs 12 as a a funny but guiding way to provide wisdom, particularly for teen girls, but you call it the uh, foolish girl and the wise girl. So, what in Proverbs 12 caught your attention in that regard? And then you created a table, actually. That we'll post online and people can see this, but foolish girl and wise girl, Proverbs twelve.
3: And we will add to that. It's not just foolish girl; it's foolish parents and wise parents. Oh, as we don't well. want to add. No, no, <laughs> we don't want to post that one.
2: Okay, for all the <laughs> teens <laughs> listening, we'll post the this foolish is, parent one, rubric. <laughs> this
3: is the rubric for I kind which of avoided I that, it. didn't we? <laughs> Um, right, so I mean, yeah. all throughout Proverbs twelve, we have really wise counsel for how to do communication well. And the foolish girl hates being told when she's wrong. She gets trapped by a rebellious attitude. Insists my way is right. And how often as parents do we insist that our ways is are right? Uh, pretty much
2: every day. <laughs>
3: <And> <laughs> it's maybe, true. Maybe I should think about this because my par- <laughs> my kids are going to listen to this yeah. broadcast and yeah. they're going to be like, "See, mom, I told you, your ways not always right." Um, She gets irritated easily and lets everyone know when she's mad. Um, She twists or exaggerates the truth, um, uses careless, mean words plans ways to hurt others and, and creates drama. And, and the antithesis of that is someone who becomes wiser by the correction of others. And I mean, it's really easy for us to say, oh, our teens should become wiser for our correction. But are we paying attention to the way that our kids are pointing out where we need to grow, even if it's not in the most respectful way? Can mm. we find that kernel of truth? Yeah. Um, a wise girl or parent gets out of trouble with an honorable, cooperative attitude, listens and learns from others. Let's insults slide and doesn't take others' disagreements personally, mm-hmm. always tells the truth in loving ways, uh, uses words to bless and heal others, and finds joy in spreading peace. Wow. And that's what I want to be said yeah. of my life and the way that I communicate with my family um, rather than, how many things mom threw.
2: <laughs> no, that, yeah, the thrower. You know, that one that catches me that I would think um, people struggle with, but I think for the way God has created a woman, uh, they struggle, you struggle with this. I want you to confirm this or deny it, but let, let's insult slide and doesn't take others' disagreement personally. Oh, gosh. That's gotta be a tough one.
3: It's really hard for men and women, I think. But yeah, I mean, to not take it personally, especially for moms, I think we, and without Christ's inner so easily let our mothering become our identity. And so if anyone has anything critical to say, whether it be our husband or our children about our parenting style or what we're doing, it's very hard to disentangle that from our core.
2: Husbands are saying amen.
3: <laughs> I can hear it right now.
2: <laughs> okay. I'm gonna get so much criticism from this, but folks, this is where the, the you know, life is real, right? You also uh, in your book talk about that that conflict journey. And as I was alluding to a few minutes ago, you have those eight, nine, ten year old years with your kids, and they're just so kind to you because you can do no wrong, and you're mommy and daddy, and I love you, mommy and daddy. <laughs> And you're going, this is awesome. And then 11, 12, 13, and you start to feel that conflict. Um, Talk about that dynamic, that change at that moment, because that's probably where most of us as parents begin to blow it. We Mm -hmm. begin to fail Mm -hmm. because it's been relatively smooth and it's been good. And we've done devotions together as a family. They have done the things we've wanted them to do when we generally ask them to do it. And now it's thirteen, fourteen. It's a little more rebellion we might be seeing. Uh, they're not wanting to read together. They're not wanting to study the word together, maybe. They have excuses. Maybe even, you know, church is boring. Mom and Dad, come on. Do we, can't we do a home church? <laughs> I mean, church is boring. All those things that start to yeah. happen. How do we recognize that pattern? And what do we do to, I guess, keep them engaged?
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, I have so many thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. The first one being, I mean, uh, someone had told me early on, I'm so grateful for this analogy, that our goal as we're parenting, you know, at first we're kind of leading, we're up ahead, we're kind of showing them the way to go. And then as they enter kind of those tween years, they're coming up alongside us and we're kind of walking this thing together. And then as the teen years come, we're actually kind of taking a step behind and kind of pushing them out in front of us and saying, all right, you know the way, now walk in it. And that's a good thing And that's to a do. good and healthy thing. But as parents, we're we're having a really hard time with that. And I think part of it, I think part of it is the society that we've created. We think that kids are adults at 18 because they're technically adults. And so we think that we have to parent intensively until they're 18. And then all of a sudden they'll magically become adults and know how to do everything. I think we need to remember, I mean, a hundred years ago, kids were pretty much adults at 13. You know they right. were already going to work. It was they were done with school, um, and they're capable of that. And so I think we're seeing this pushback from teens of wanting more independence because they should have more independence. They should be making more decisions. And moms, we are so guilty of helicopter parenting and lawnmower parenting, trying to clear the way in front of them. And um, and we need to let them fail, let them try and fail, let them make some of those choices, and then take it with a grain of salt. Jim, I know you've said take the long view of Parenting, And I couldn't agree more. I mean, for me, I have lowered my standard of what I expect for my teens as they enter those years um, from perfection down to I just want them to know that they're loved and I want them to know where to find Jesus. Yeah. And to take a step back and realize they're God's kids, and they're going to have to make those decisions on whether to attend church, or they're going to have to make the decisions on what they're going to eat, or where they're going to spend their money, and who they're going to hang out with. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved as parents at all, but I think the pendulum has needs to swing more back to the middle and find that balance of letting them be adults before they leave our home.
2: Um, Jesse, in your book, you have some great advice for teens about their role as the older or younger sibling. Hmm. Now, the sibling rivalry thing, (laughs) I don't know if you guys are seeing that, but I see it. And uh, especially if they're sizes, I've got a big firstborn and a a, a modest secondborn. And those two go at it all the time. And that's normal. (laughs) But uh, speak to that sibling rivalry and what older children need to know, what younger children need to know.
3: When I was younger, my I had three older brothers who they had their kind of pecking order all figured out. And so when I arrived as this new fresh blood, I got the brunt of all of the torture. And there are some pretty fun and embarrassing stories about how that played out. So I, I don't expect that there will be always peace between brothers and sisters. But I do think that we need to hold our kids to a higher standard or they, they themselves Treat each need other to hold themselves better. to a higher standard, right? Yeah. So for younger siblings, they have an excellent opportunity to have someone else go first and there's something to be said for being able to watch someone else live life and make decisions both good and bad and get to watch that and decide is that how i want to live my life how's that working out for that sister who decided to move in with her boyfriend or how is that working out for my brother who is studying really hard so that he can get good grades and then make their decisions accordingly And on the flip side, for older siblings, you have an amazing responsibility and opportunity to live out 1 Timothy 4.12, to be an example to the believers in your faith, in your purity, in in your love, in your faithfulness, all those things that we're trying to grow in. Um, And I did not take that responsibility well. When I was a teenager, I sort of tolerated my younger sister's existence. She was seven years younger than I was. And because, again, the world revolved around me and it all orbited around my likes and dislikes, um, I wasn't intentional about investing into her when I was in the home with her. And it's one of the greatest regrets I have in mm. my life. And so my encouragement for older siblings who are still in the home with their younger siblings is to take that responsibility seriously. You have such power and opportunity and influence to be able to shape a life um, if you just take the time to do that. But
2: how often we say to the older sibling, hey. Treat your younger brother better than you're treating him. Come Mm -hmm. on. Don't speak to him that way. Uh, That's not appropriate. It's almost like please and thank you. Hmm. You sometimes have to say that like a thousand times, (laughs) right? And you're going, okay, for the 1,000th. 10th time, (laughs) can you not speak to your younger
3: brother? I know. And it goes back to what we talked about yesterday that we (laughs) cannot be the Holy Spirit in our children's (laughs) lives, and it drives me nuts because I say those words all the time too, Jim. And Okay, that makes me feel even though I now as an adult can look back and say, Man, I really blew this amazing opportunity I had to be a good big sister. I'm watching my two daughters now play this out in front of me, and it seems like even though I know all the right things, I've written books about this, I still am having a a hard time getting to the heart of my kids to be able to see the world outside of how it affects them well and we
2: have to remember as parents it's planting those seeds and then water Mm -hmm. water water and sometimes it's a 100 year plant right eventually you're going to see that thing blossom and you're going to hear a kind word said from one sibling to the other and you're going to go finally (laughs) finally this
0: focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment
1: What is building up your teen girl's belief system?
3: And that's the main thing actually that I've gotten from the Brio Magazine since I've gotten them is just how to stay strong in your faith and how to just every day rely on God for everything, even if you're having a wonderfully good day or just an absolute terrible one.
1: Discover how Brio Magazine can capture the heart and faith of your teen girl at focusonthefamily.com brio radio.
0: You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com gethelp get help. That's focusonthefamily.com gethelp get help. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
2: Jesse, you use a phrase in the book, mean mom syndrome. And I think (laughs) I could almost say the mean dad syndrome because I know where this is going. But it's not about the parents. It's about (laughs) the siblings. And tell me that dynamic where the older sibling kind of takes on that role.
3: Yeah, I think. I mean, part of it is good. Our kids are, are part of that healthy growing up is imitating what they see in adults, and sometimes for good or for bad. What I call they it see
2: becoming this, bossy. I think,
3: yeah, right. <laughs> I'm trying to look at the positive first. Yeah, that's but so good of you. So the 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 problem is that, especially for girls, and I, I would imagine possibly for older boys as well. For their, they kind of take on this like parental role thinking right. that it's their job to uh, get their younger siblings into shape um but for girls I see a lot of this kind of mean mom syndrome like it's, <laughs> at least I hope that that's not how the I mean sound but when it, huh? they take on that because they don't have the you know the age of and wisdom that comes with age to be able to do it gently they just come across as bossy and and telling them what to do and you should do this you shouldn't do this and it's kind of comical to watch sometimes because they're doing the exact same thing that they're telling their younger siblings not to do. But I think, you know, unfortunately, some kids don't have the luxury of having a parent in the home who's yes. parenting well. And so this gets a little bit trickier. But I encourage girls and boys, you, you still can take out the mean part. Even if you're forced to take on a bit of a parental role, Um, you can still do it in a kind and gentle way.
2: I'm thinking of those examples where, you know, my oldest is saying, hey, dad said you need to put your shoes yeah. over here. <laughs> And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, but your shoes are over there. <laughs> it's kind of like
3: exactly. they got the
2: concept, but they're still not executing exactly right. You know, oh, We hope
3: they'll get it before they have their own
2: kids. <laughs> and those poor younger siblings are just going, all right, whatever. <laughs> you know, I so often see Troy just saying, yeah, okay, I got it. And he does it. And then I'm still looking at the older one going, come on, what about your shoes? Um, You talk also about that relationship between dad and teen daughter, Mm. and there's so many dynamics in that. And I think for a lot of us dads, not understood dynamics, not well enough. Um, We try to sometimes, I think, parent our daughters like we do our sons. We recognize the differences, but it, it is a different tack that you need to take describe that um, you had you know had to build that with your stepfather but describe the challenges there both from a, a, the dad's perspective but also the teen girl's perspective
3: oh mm-hmm. uh, yeah there's so so many things to pack in and out of that and i really want to make sure to touch on both sides both for the dad's to call you to a high standard of taking your responsibility with your daughter seriously to understand that that you are going to be the first taste that she has of what it looks like to have someone love you unconditionally, to appreciate who you are, to tell you that you're beautiful, to show you what it looks like to treat a woman well so that when she goes out and dates, she's going to know that this guy is not worth her time because Mm -hmm. he doesn't treat her the way that you treated her. And on the flip side, I also want to make sure that daughters know that you have the responsibility to let God fill up where your daddy's going to blow it because yeah. he is. He just is. He's not perfect. He's not your perfect daddy, the way that God is. And so I've, I've had both. I, I, I feel like I um, wish that, especially in those years when I was in the home, I wish that there was more warmth from my father, more of a, of a connection there. Um, but I also watched the way that God filled up those holes left by not knowing my biological father and also by the struggles that I had um, with my dad in the home. Um, he was so faithful to make sure that I wasn't lacking anything Mm -hmm. um, and to help me be confident, all those things that, you know, we point to dads. I feel like there's been a lot of talk in recent years about a dad's role and how important that is. And I'm so thankful for that. But I don't want to put too much emphasis there so that a dad doesn't feel like he has to play God and make sure that his daughter is, you know, understands her worth and her beauty and doesn't go looking for the attention of boys and it all rests on his shoulders or his daughter is going to become, you know, whatever. So,
2: you know, let me interject there, because I think one of the things and we like simple I mean Mm -hmm. guys like simple presence yes a father just needs to be present yeah and I think if you can aim at that just to be available have those discussions make time to be able to just carve that time out maybe it's 10-15 minutes it's a walk around the block but just let her know you care and you know about her that's pretty simple yeah it's not complicated and that means you got to put some things aside maybe not do the work you planned on doing tonight but just give her some of your time. And I think if you do that, your daughter will be generally pretty healthy.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And again, it's not, unfortunately, our children have this nasty little thing called free will. So you right. could do everything perfectly, and it, and it may not have the impact that you hope it will. But I mean, there's plenty of studies that show that that presence and that warmth, that availability do go a very long way in her formation, in her identity, and also in her um, in her faith. The
2: other area here, and this will be it for today as we're running out of time, but it's a powerful story with your mom. You and I share that. We both lost our moms to cancer, Um, but we haven't talked about the mom factor. Mm. Um, Talk about your mom, what you learned in that setting, uh, the fights you may have had, Mm. but more importantly, the love you had for each other.
3: My mom was the wisest and the best. I Mm. am so grateful that she chose to keep me. I'm so grateful that she was brave enough to stick with a marriage that was very difficult for a lot of years. Um, I'm so grateful for her. The thing that I regret most is not the door slamming and the eye rolling in the years that I spent with Mm. her. The thing that I regret most is the apathy And it really has fueled a desire in me to help families understand that change will come. We don't know when it will happen. It could be slow, you know, of them leaving the nest and going off to make a life of their own. But you just don't know how many days you have. And losing my mom, it's been 10 years now, um, has changed how I live today. Life is no longer safe in the sense that I realized that my my stepdad and my in-laws were mortal creatures. And and Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he says it's better to live in the in the house of mourning than the house of pleasure, right? It's better to go to the funeral than to the party because it teaches us how to live today. It reminds us of, of our end and it reminds us to live today with purpose and intentionality and to make the most of the minutes and the hours and the days and the years that we have with our kids, with our parents, with our siblings. Um, and to do life on purpose
2: well that is well said and that's really the crux of your book um, family how to love yours and help them like you back i think that is a perfect place to end Um, have the long view and love each other even through the tough stuff you have touched our hearts today Mm -hmm. jesse thank you for your tenderness and for your stories and To our listeners, if this conversation has sparked some questions or concerns about your own family, we're here for you. Call us at Focus on the Family. We have many, many resources to help you at all different levels. I mean, at the top level, the 101 or the 404, you know, (laughs) the deeper issues that you face. We want to be there for you no matter what, whether that's the counseling team or just the book that can help you steer and guide you in your way. Uh, We want to encourage you and support you. So contact us today. Yeah, our number is 800-AFAMILY,
0: 800-232-6459, or stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast. And when you make a donation of any amount to the ministry today, either a one-time gift or a monthly pledge, we'll say thank you for joining the support team by sending a copy of Jesse's book to you. It's called Family, and it's a great resource. And don't forget about our Brio Magazine for Teen Girls. Uh, If you want to help your teen daughter have an exciting faith-based resource to help her better understand today's culture and relationships and how to live out her life as a Christian, Brio Magazine can help. We've got details at the website, but uh, join the tens of thousands of households that receive this terrific monthly magazine.